Welcome to No Room for Phonies. It's the dog days of summer. It's uh, August 15th and I decided today to talk about the relationship phenomena. Connected and authentic relationship. And I wanted to start by talking about some of the thoughts I've had in the last little while while I was journaling about what an ideal healthy relationship looks like. And I think we want a relationship where the other person is kind, where, the, where we are kind to each other and look after each other's needs. I'm an honesty person, so I want people to let me know when I've hurt them, confused them. I want them to let me know if I look foolish or if they feel I'm hiding something. I want a person who has their own sense of identity, who doesn't uh, need me to uh, make them who they are. I like to do things, so I like a little bit of adventure in a relationship. Um, especially not even just like, I don't mean we have to climb Mount Everest or anything, but I like people who are adventurous in their thinking and their feeling and what they share. I do like to laugh. I like to think that I would have a friend who would defend me if I needed it. Somebody I can trust. Someone with compassion and empathy. Someone who listens. Someone who has your back, I guess, the defensing. I like a little clairvoyance where they kind of know your, what you would do. Like, for example, I think sometimes my kids don't ask me what I think of something because they already know where I stand about certain things. I really have to have an optimistic person. I would say that I've walked away from relationships that are where it's just constant negativity. Respectful, open-hearted. There are no awkward sil silences. You can be silent, but it's, it's fine. I want deep conversations. I want to encourage and be encouraged to try new things. I don't want people jealous of me all the time. Just genuine happiness for me and me to have genuine happiness for them. I like the, I like the idea of being able to see when each other is self-sabotaging and confront that. Forgiveness, obviously. I think you have to think, oh, I'm really excited about seeing that person. I'm really looking forward to it. No guilt. Guilt is a wasted emotion. And you can always ask a favor of them. You know, the person that you know you can call up and say, can you help me with this? And it's never a big deal. I think you have to know yourself in order to be in a healthy relationship. I, I ha think you have to know your own strengths and weaknesses. And I've spent a lot of time uh, in the last year or so really examining my strengths and weaknesses. A lot of the time just because I have time to do it. And I think it has made me a better person, a more um, a person who is not... Uh, as demanding and I certainly know that my idea of having expectations has decreased because we have to understand that we are solely responsible for ourselves 
and the relationships that we engage in. We cannot blame other people for not engaging with us. And life is always a journey and you need to keep moving, but you have free will and you always have a choice. And when we get defensive about the things that we believe in, then we really don't understand ourselves or our own beliefs. And I don't want to live my life entitled because that is a self-consumed way of living, to always be thinking about what I deserve and what I should have. And I want to have awareness of my own distortions and my own biases so that when I'm relating and talking to friends, like obviously I was in education for 35 years. I have some pretty strong views about education, but I want to be a kind of person who listens more and hears and listens to understand how other people are feeling about a certain issue rather than just sort of um, piling on how I feel. Emotional IQ is self-awareness plus self-management plus social awareness plus social influence plus self-regulation. So you have, if your emotional IQ is made up of your own self-awareness, your ability to manage yourself, your ability to manage yourself in a social situation, how influential you can be socially, and how you can adapt and adjust and amend your thinking by keeping a focus on growth and awareness. We all have this little facade that we have sometimes, and if I'm in a relationship where I'm constantly feeling like I'm, I'm using my facade, then that's not the kind of relationship for me because I want to be confident, know who I am, and be okay with expressing that around whoever I'm with. I want to worry more less about my own self-esteem and more about an ideal state of self-confidence. Not self-confidence, but self-concept about knowing myself and my own core beliefs, what's in my heart. So I answered a bunch, I'm, I'm, I answered these questions about uh, myself, but these are some of the questions that help you to move towards a level of self-awareness. And you really just have to take some time and, and, and think about it. Who do I think I am? What is my self-concept? And for me, I'm a hardworking, honest, organized person who loves contributing, who wants to do the very best they can all the time, who is always learning more about myself and is always better the next day than I was today. Then you have to think, are there any beliefs that you have about yourself that may not be true? And what evidence do you have to challenge those beliefs? And what do you use to affirm the beliefs that you have about yourself? It's, if it's just based on feeling and then not fact, then you have to reevaluate that. Am I aware of the emotions underlying my most destructive and unhelpful thoughts? Like when I get the, a thought in my head that someone doesn't like me, that may be true and I may have facts to base that up, but it also may not be true. And do you let those unexamined thoughts run amok every day? 
What area of your life needs your focus and attention and what kind of focus and attention does it need? For me right now, there's like three areas of my life. It's my um, thought processes. So I do a lot of journaling on, you know, good ways to think and what are the things that I really believe and know about myself. And my diet and exercise are, are areas that I'm focusing on. Am I open and receptive to new ideas? Am I too invested in my thoughts and feelings and judgments that I can't change? Which, from which side of my brain do I make most of my decisions? From the rational side or, the, or kind of the combination of the emotional and rational, which is the wise, or am I emotionally led? What's my day like? Does the routine that I follow in a day support my core values? Am I, gra am I grateful? Am I responsible for my anger or my fear or my anxiety? What do I make excuses for? What do I actually feel I'm entitled to that I might need to let go as an expectation? What do I project of myself on, onto other people? Am I a needy person who's always um, passive-aggressively trying to get attention? Am I always addicted to wanting more than I currently have? And I think I've thought a lot about that um, during this self-isolation because it really has taught me to be satisfied with what I, what I have because... Um, and to understand that I need, I don't really need a whole lot. And I know that I'm speaking from a position of, of more privilege than a lot of people. And so that's why I think you need, you do really need to be grateful. What makes me feel secure or insecure? And am I really different when I'm around other people? What people am I myself around and what people am I different around? Do I judge my future by my past? Do I say, well, that's going to happen again because it happened before? And do I show up authentically? And I, uh, you know, I sort of write, I'm a person who loves cooking and baking and entertaining and helping people with food. I persist at tasks and learn and try new things. I treat people with kindness and respect as much as possible. I am honest and transparent. I enjoy challenges in solving problems and taking action to solve problems. I love writing, taking notes, blogging, podcasting, journaling, writing letters. I always question when the automatic response is, I can't or it's not possible. And I think for some people that really bothers them about me. When I hear somebody say, I can't do this, I'm like, well, let's talk about that. I am an optimist. I persist through adversity. I commit to routines, to to-do lists and exercising and following through. I can manage money. We've kept our debt to a minimum through our lives, even at times when we were home with our kids and didn't have huge incomes and we are eliminated. We have eliminated debt and grown our savings. I love to read. I love to read. I am open and inspired by people and places and things. I say no to the negative and I appreciate differing opinions. But I 
feel like now in my life I am avoiding situations where they're just patterns of negativity. I give back, quietly supporting others or giving or supporting people who need it. I feel like I'm a generous person. I question. I ask important questions and I value feedback and I want to understand purpose and how to cultivate change. I like balance. I like finding time and not hiding behind a flurry of activity. I've, I've met people who are like, oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. And you just think, okay, well, I guess you're busy then. Um, I'm organized and I always ensure things get done. I like making occasions special and I've had to let go about, of that a bit because I, my kids are at the stage where they don't really, like if I put a whole bunch into this whole big plan for Christmas or whatever, they're just not at the stage right now where they're enjoying it. We don't have grandchildren around. so. I just try to, when they're home or when they're available, make a nice meal and celebrate being with them and not focus so much on, oh, what are we planning for Thanksgiving and what are we planning for Christmas? Because then it's just expectations and then it just causes heartache and whatever. So I've let go of that a lot. I love to teach and facilitate learning. And setting goals and helping others learn. And I love seeing people empowered. I loved working with long-term occasional teachers because they were, for the most part, eager to learn. And I would sit with them and help them plan and do all these things. And I, I that piece I, I just love. And I've had a couple of um, young teachers who had struggled in another school and they were sent put in my school, put, placed, and oh my gosh, the one I'm thinking of right now, she thrived, and she is an amazing teacher, but she needed somebody to help her feel empowered, and to help her to see what was really amazing about herself, and I like to live in a, in a, sorry, that's me banging my tablecloth thing, the little weight on my tablecloth, I like to live in a life that is peaceful, that's free of expectations, to use my free will to make good choices and to police my own thoughts. So there's a bunch of levels of connection and relationships, just for your information. First of all, you have attraction and then you feel some kind of connection and then you make an acquaintance. So there's a beginning of trust and you start adapting to each other. And then you can engage in kind of a power struggle for control, or you might feel some manipulation. And if you can work through that power struggle, then you get to a place of acceptance of equal or unconditional respect. And then your relationship can become consistent, open, congruent, accepting, appreciating of each other. And then there's commitment where really boundaries are not necessary. You have a healthy way of relating and then it leads to intimacy and trust. And I think sometimes in order to move through those, you have to prioritize listening and understanding over being heard and move from internal listening or all about your own thoughts and judgments and feelings and expertise 
to focus listening with the connection to others to like a global listening with an awareness of the whole environment including your own intuition about a situation and I think you just have to practice being a better listener and I think relationships also are about the ability to see life from a whole bunch of perspectives I keep saying this about policing your thoughts but your thoughts can lead you down a really dark hole and I think you have to live in a world of facts and not expectations and misinterpretations and assumptions. You can't base your negative, you have to base your negative thoughts on facts. And sometimes facts are not, sometimes thoughts are not black and white. They're more complex than, than that. Like if somebody says something hurtful to you, it's way more complex than then they just said this hurtful thing. They may be in a place where they're just having a really horrible day. Um, I don't know. Like there's just, you have to consider it as more complex than then that person just hurt me. Do you misinterpret things? Are you making assumptions? And are assumptions facts? Because they're not. Might other people have other interpretations and and have you considered things from a whole bunch of different perspectives? I think I've talked before about that whole idea of saying, okay, I've considered it from this perspective. Now I need to consider it from this one. Now this one. Now this one. There's as many perspectives as there are people in the world. And sometimes I think we only look for the evidence that supports our own thoughts. And do you see your thoughts sometimes as a habit? Every time somebody says something negative to me, I feel anxious, fearful, hurt, angry. Do you think another person has passed on this belief to you? And, and is that person a valid person in your life? Are they somebody who should be speaking into your life? Do you make things into worst case scenario? Are you an awfulizer? And... It, there's sometimes a lot of room for movement between the best and the absolute worst. So, I mean, I think this is that's all part of knowing yourself and knowing who you are. And that helps you approach relationships in a really, really, really more um, healthy and uh, positive way. I mentioned last in my last podcast about the golden circle and um, I just want to read this chapter to you about um, uh, it's called tick marks and uh, it's about the golden circle and I don't feel I can describe it any other way this is the Glennon Doyle book untamed but I want to read this little story to you because it's totally, I have felt um, the golden circle. I don't know if I've ever been in a golden circle, but I, I just want to ex uh, read this to you and just see if you identify at all, either as a person who has a golden circle. I'll, I'll tell you my most recent golden circle. I mean, this group of women have worked together and lived together and been friends for a long, 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 long time. I don't work with them, um, but we are part of a work kind of social sort of thing. But 
once in a while they'll kind of include me in their golden circle other times not sometimes they include us as a couple but it's it's tricky and it is never it's not bullying really because they don't really exclude you but just listen to the story and see if you identify with any of it this is her talking this is a story of her life glennon doyle front untamed it's my senior year of high school and i still haven't been nominate, nominated to homecoming court homecoming court is made up of the 10 most popular students in each grade those 10 will dress up and ride in convertibles in the homecoming parade where she is in the states so dress up and walk the field at halftime dress up and walk the halls wearing their homecoming court sashes homecoming is high school fashion week and the rest of us will watch the members of the court walk the runways from our places in the shadows the whole practice is crazy but anyway anyway here it continues our teachers pass out ballots in english class and instruct us to vote for the students who should ascend to the court. Each year we vote en masse for the same 10 golden ones. We all know who they are. It feels like we were born knowing who they were. are. The golden ones stand together in a closed circle, like the sun, in the hallways, at football games, at the mall, and in our minds. We are not supposed to look directly at them, which is difficult because they have shiny hair and their bodies are alluring, light, and radiant. None of them is a bully. Bullying would require paying far too much attention and exerting far too much effort. They are above and beyond that. Their job is to ignore the rest of us, and our job is to judge ourselves against the standards they set. Our, exi our existence makes them golden, and their existence makes us miserable. Yes, we vote for them year after year because the rules control us even at the privacy of our own deaths. Vote for the golden ones. They have followed directions perfectly. They are what we are all supposed to be, so they should win. Fair is fair. I am not golden, but the golden one's light reflects on me just often enough that I am tinged. They invite me to their parties occasionally and I go, but when I get there, they don't talk to me much. I assume I'm there because they need some ungold around in order to feel their goldenness. Goldenness requires contrast. So when they stand in circles at football games, they let me join their circle, but they don't talk to me there either. I feel terribly uncomfortable, left out, and ridiculous in those circles. I remind myself that what is really happening in the circle doesn't matter. What matters is what people outside the circle perceive to be happening there. What matters is not what is real, but what I can convince others is real. What matters is not how I feel inside, but how I appear to feel on the outside. How I appear to feel will determine how others feel about me. What matters is how others feel about me. So I act like someone who feels golden. So she goes on to tell the story of how she actually gets nominated even though she's not part of this golden circle the same names are called out but she actually gets on and then her friend and her are um counting the ticks for the ballots and she actually cheats and puts extra two ticks by her name so she makes it 
into the homecoming court. And she's, her reaction is, I am now a girl who, even when she's 44 years old, can roll her eyes and mention offhandedly, well, I was on the homecoming court. Others will roll their eyes too, high school, but they will also register. Ah, you were golden. Golden is decided early and it sticks. Somehow, even when we are grown and know so much better, so much more, golden is always golden. She has uh, wrote, written and spoken openly about addiction, sex, infidelity, depression, shamelessness in, my, in her spiritual practice, yet she had never admitted to this point committing high school voter fraud, fraud to anyone but her wife. When I told her that I'd finally written this story, she winced and asked, Are you sure? Are you sure you should tell that one? I think what makes this story unforgivable is the desperation. It's the wanting, the caring so much. If one cannot be golden, then one must pretend that one does not want to be. It's so uncool, so terribly uncool, to want to belong so badly that you're willing to cheat for it. But I did it. I rigged an election trying to be golden. I spent 16 years with my head in a toilet trying to be light. So that's her. I drank myself numb for a decade trying to be pleasant. I've giggled at and slept with terrible people. Assholes, she calls them. I've held my tongue so hard I tasted blood trying to be gentle. I've spent thousands on potions and poisons trying to be youthful. I've denied myself for decades trying to be poor to be pure sorry so anyway it's just an interesting i think the golden circles exist in adulthood the same as they exist everywhere else and i have watched it particularly in uh, as i worked with uh, staffs in school and i actually at one school when i walked in there was a circle a circle b circle c circle d and circle a glowed in the light and Circle B glowed in the light of Circle A and were sometimes invited into Circle A. Circle C, Circle D just got crapped on all the time. So it is a really important thing to think about and I, ha and I um, think it's important for us to think about it in terms of am I in it and doing that to other people or am I trying to be in a golden circle when I need to walk away. And that leads me to the next part where sometimes in relationships, you just got to let it burn. Sometimes relationships are for a season and destruction is always essential to construction. Our next life will always cost us our current life and you can't lose yourself in service to others. Give back, but not for efficiency, but, but for the idea of making the world a better place and living a deeper, more spiritual life. A woman who knows herself and trusts herself will say and do what needs to be done. And motherhood is not martyrdom. That's an important statement. Motherhood is not martyrdom. Live bravely in order to live a thousand deaths and rebirths. The goal is to surrender so that I can become who my next moment calls me to be. I have never heard fatherhood is not martyrdom. It is we mothers 
who martyr ourselves for our children. Sometimes a person just doesn't show interest in your thoughts, opinions, or needs because they are focused on themselves, and it is called self-consumptionitis. Constant negativity. A person is always in crisis or always has a problem, is posting their problems, or doesn't really want your help or suggestion, and they are just a wet blanket, and no matter what you say or what you suggest, they want to wallow in their problem. Sometimes people are controlling or authoritative and they want to trap you. People who twist the truth. You're never a priority. You put out days to meet and they respond with the one day you say you're not available. I mean, sometimes you just have to read the writing on the wall. Drama, not being, you know, with work and relationships and righteous opinions and you feel used and they provoke you. They, you don't want to be around an energy vampire. <clears throat> There's a point of relentless neediness. Or they hurt you and hurt you and hurt you and hurt you and never seem to realize that they have. They don't appreciate you for who you are. Or you don't, they don't appreciate the changes you've made to reinvent yourself. I actually had somebody say that to me like, oh, you have to reinvent yourself. But then there was no appreciation for that journey or no complimenting you on anything that you're doing to reinvent yourself. There's manipulation, everything is always at their house and their way. And then there's emotional manipulation. You felt held back. Sometimes it can feel like a transaction and you're being held back from being healthy. If you're doing all the work in the relationship, you're always calling, you're always this, you're always that. Depending, you know, sometimes there are times for that in a relationship where someone's going through something or has got a lot on their plate and whatever, but I think you're smart enough to figure that out. And if you really can't count on the other person, sometimes you need to let it burn. What is a true relate? What is authenticity? Tap 10 qualities of friend. Honesty, acceptance, low maintenance, non-judgmental, loyal, respectful, trustworthy, empathetic, self-confident, and fun. What defines enough in a relationship is largely determined by the person on the receiving end. Sometimes friendships just need distance, listening, and living without insisting on anything. I've decided that I need to live my life with rigorous logical consistency a self-guarded life clean kindness should always make both persons both parties feel better an unconditional acceptance and love is a product of intimacy the feeling that you can love someone no matter what life throws at you nothing is easy but Friendship is work, and relationships are work. Love is not, relationship is not always how you feel. It's more about how you act. And there are going to be uncomfortable moments. I've said all these things yesterday when it was our um, 26th wedding anniversary about things I've learned about an intimate relationship with your husband. You have to be self-aware. 
You have to forgive. You have to react in kinder and better ways. And you have to do something every day to show your love without wanting anything in return. So that is my take on the relationship phenomena. I hope you find some things in there that you can uh, relate to. And uh, you can always email me if you have thoughts about relationships or stories about relationships. And uh, the next one that I'm going to talk about is um, a book that I want to uh, read and refer to and some research that I'm doing on the helping relationship. When you are in a situation where you are helping someone and what that, those kinds of relationships uh, look like. So thanks for joining me for Relationship Phenomena, No Room for Phonies, August 15th. Enjoy the next couple of weeks of summer, and uh, I wish all the best to everyone as they decide what they're doing, especially in Ontario, with their kids for school in the fall. It's a tough, tough time uh, for anyone who's involved in the education system, from parents to teachers to government, um, all the way through, it is not easy making decisions right now. So, hopefully there's some uh, things that you can relate to. Thanks for joining me for No 